Good morning. Oh, good afternoon. <laughs> 12 o'clock. <laughs> good morning, Ian Rosebank. My name is Kulafelo, and I'm married to Lereko. I know most of you don't know me, but you've heard a lot about me. <laughs> I am alive. I am there at the back somewhere. She's real, somewhere. y'all. She's real. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a, a real privilege for us to bring you the word this afternoon, and we're, we're going to be wrapping up the... Um, the intentional uh, relationship series, and so uh, Kulu and I are going to be uh, tag teaming that. But um, before we, we start, we, we wanted to, and we've been speaking throughout uh, the series about uh, the fact that relationships mm. um, and life is not linear, mm. um, that stuff happens, uh, that we still need to navigate and fight for truth in the midst of all of that. And so we wanted to invite a friend of ours up. And so I'm going to invite Christy to come up. And uh, we just asked her to share um, her testimony. Uh, and she'll give a little bit of context um, and just uh, uh, tell us a little bit about the journey that God has taken her on. So let's give a round of applause to, to Christy. Good afternoon, everybody. So. I'm just going to dive straight in. So um, I was married for 13 years, and after 13 years, my husband sat me down and told me that he was gay. I love that reaction. <laughs> it's very interesting every time. Um, you see, a lot of the time, people tell me that I should feel devastated about what happened to me, and I really love that word because it kind of conjures this image in my mind of the wake of a tornado where everything is just completely broken, nothing looks like it used to look, nothing functions the way it used to function, it's just completely and utterly gone and destroyed. And that's not my story, because that's not who my God is. So you see, when my world kind of got flipped upside down, the reason there was no distraction is because the center of my world was not my husband, and the foundation of my identity and my sense of purpose was rooted in God, and not that of being wife and doing the wife thing. So when everything changed, I didn't get flipped upside down. See, the world very often defines us by our relationships, but God actually doesn't define us by our relationship status. He defines us by only one relationship, and that's our relationship with Him. And it's the only one that matters to Him. Relationships are important to Him. He created them. He's the one who said man shouldn't be alone. He uses marriage to uh, express our relationship with Christ but he doesn't define us by any other relationship. That's something we do to ourselves. So the world kind of pushes identity onto us. Um, and for my case, now suddenly being divorced, the world was telling me certain things about myself that weren't really true. It was telling me that I'd been rejected and that possibly I was unlovable. But God tells me that he seeks me and he looks for me and he searches for me and that he loves me so much, he sent Christ to die for me before I was even born. That he was already trying to restore me into relationship with him. That that's the relationship that mattered to him. The world tells me that I'm vulnerable. I don't have a man to protect me anymore. But God tells me I'm his daughter and he sends a host of angels to God over me. That his hand, <laughs> that his hand is over me and he watches over me himself. I'm not vulnerable and I'm not a victim because my God is great. The world tells me I lack. See, I was taught to think that my husband was my source of provision, but he was just the conduit that God used in that season. God is my provider, so it doesn't matter what kind of relationship I'm in, God is always my source. 
See, relationships are situations that we find ourselves in. They're not who we are. You are in the situation of being single or married, divorced, maybe widowed. But situations change. And if you base your identity and your sense of purpose on the situation that you're in, and the same can go for whether you have a job or you're unemployed, whether you're rich or you're poor, if you place, place, place your identity in those things, when your situation changes, you're gonna have a crisis of identity and a crisis of purpose. You're not gonna understand what you're meant to be doing anymore. The amazing thing about God is that when I was still a child, before I was even created, he had created me with an identity in mind and with a purpose in mind. And the great thing is he already knew what was gonna come my way, but he'd still called me to something and to be a certain person. So that when those things came my way, it didn't upset him and it doesn't need to upset me because I'm still equally called and I'm still exactly who he created me to be. And he uses these things to shape me. See, God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when we base our identity and purpose in him, we are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We don't need to be somebody else. We don't need to feel like we, things are all wrong or it doesn't matter anymore because God is the same. But we need to be rooted in him and we need to know who he says we are no matter what our situation is, no matter what relationships we're in, um, that that never changes. Brilliant. Sure. That's a picture of courage, folks. That's what courage looks like. Um, and, uh, and, and just such an important um, testimony and so, and so many important truths um, within that uh, because we didn't, we didn't want to create uh, the impression that if you if your life hasn't followed a linear system, uh, that somehow God was angry with you, or that your life mattered less, um, or that there are parts of the series that are more relevant to you and others that are not. Um, we we're all living this overlapped scenario of relationships and friendships um, that such that God is causing. The, the, the lessons that I learn in friendship to benefit me in marriage, the lessons that I'm learning in marriage to help me to be a better friend, the lessons that I'm learning, whether it's in that uh, dating pursuit courtship space, to help me to be a better friend, to help me to be a better spouse, to help me to be a better Christian. Relationships are there to help us to be a better Christian. Um, and so it's important for us to embrace the different stages uh, that we find ourselves in. Now, last week uh, we did a little bit of a poll um, and uh, uh, asked, asked you guys uh, certain questions, and for those of you who weren't around last week, we asked certain questions, and we asked you guys to feedback on our WhatsApp number, and we put up a graph of uh, just taking a, a dipstick dip of where everybody's at, and um, just one, one of the things that I wanted to unpack just very, very slightly on that um, was a, um, one of the questions was, uh, do you uh, first seek God before... Um, before, before you start dating somebody, as in do you, do you ask God um, for his wisdom before you start dating somebody? And there, and, and there was quite a few of you who indicated, no, um, we just get into it. And, and, and we figure our way out as we go. <laughs> now, <laughs> wanted to speak into that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, would be an irresponsible, I would be an irresponsible pastor if I didn't... Um, uh, put my finger on that one a little bit, uh, because 
what I what I think is wise and is the counsel of Scripture um, is that we allow Christ to go ahead of us. And I, Jesus, by the way, gave his disciples a little bit of a taste of this. Um, and, and, and I'll just highlight it very, very quickly, and we won't even, even go into that scripture. But um, remember, remember the time when, when they'd had a, a, a massive gathering, and, and Jesus had fed a whole bunch of people, and it was miraculous, and Noah could figure out exactly how he fed them. And he, he had a little bit of food and managed to feed everybody, and, and, and everybody was hyped up, and they, and they were excited. And what does Jesus do? He, he says, the Bible says he retreated, and he went up the mountain to be with the Lord. Uh, and, and his disciples are still on that hype, and they, and they just feel so invis- invincible, and they know what the plan is, right? The plan is to get in the boats and to go across the river um, and, uh, and, and to continue their ministry. So they get tired of waiting on Jesus, um, who's up there, and he's with the Lord, and, you know, we don't know what he's doing. And so, what, guys, we know that what the plan is. Let's get into the boats, and off we go. And, of course, uh, if you've read the story, you know that it gets a little bit complicated because in the middle of, 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 of things, there's a storm. And, uh, and, and uh, they, they start to struggle and they start to, to fear that the storm is going to topple them and they're far from shore. And while they're still struggling, uh, f- from afar off, they see a figure coming towards them. And then they recognize that it's the figure of a man and he seems to be walking on the water. And he's coming towards them and they get freaked out and they think, oh, it's a ghost. And, uh, and Jesus starts speaking to them. He tells them, no, don't be fearful, it's me. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, the, the scriptures tell us that he, get, he gets into the boat. And an interesting thing after that, that so the scriptures tell us that, and this is not the time when, when Peter got out and walked on the, on, on the water, but um, Jesus gets into the boat, and the scripture tells us that immediately uh, they arrived um, on, on, on the other shore. And I believe that, the, that Jesus did this purpose, purposefully. He was teaching them what it looks like um, for us to go ahead of him. Um, and, that, uh, and that even though we've had victories, even though we feel like we, we're, we've lost step and we've done some things that are brilliant and we've done some things ourselves, uh, but do not be tempted to think that therefore you can go ahead of him uh, because you'll get yourself into trouble. Um, and, and I think he gives us all a taste of what it looks like to go ahead of him. And then he comes and he rescues us in those situations. And depending on how quickly you learn the lesson, uh, you know, you may find yourself in that storm again. And you find yourself in the cycle of being rescued and being a victim. But really, Jesus is actually just showing you, this is what it looks like when you go ahead of me. Um, and then I will rescue you. I will come and be in the storm with you. But you're still going to find yourself in some storms and you're still going to create stress in your life. So for those of you who continue in the practice of getting into relationships without first seeking the will of God, remember that God is not going to stop you from making decisions. He's giving you that power. Um, But decisions have consequences and you'll find yourself in a storm that Jesus has to come in to rescue you out of. Storms hurt. You're going to hurt the people you're in the storm with are going to hurt, and you're going to bring that pain out of, out of that storm. And Jesus will redeem, and he's good, and he'll give you lessons out of that. But don't go through pain if you don't have to. There's nothing heroic about that. Uh, so, are we clear on that one? So next time you, th- you have a romantic interest towards somebody, what are you going to do? Hey. <laughs> you guys learn quickly. Awesome. So, uh, as we enter into this, uh, this, this final uh, week of the Intentional uh, Relationship Series, um, I wanted to, to highlight uh, just 
one or two things uh, before I hand over to, to, to Kuluen. And I, I just want to talk about purpose. Uh, I want to talk about purpose and I want to talk about redemption. But redemption was covered quite thoroughly last week by, Ta- by Tammy and Natasha. And if you missed that, uh, please do yourself a favor and get the podcast. It was amazing. Uh, and, and, and they labored the, 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 the redemption point quite significantly. So I'm not going to spend time on that one. But, um, but if, we, if we can go onto that first scripture slide, and what I want to do is, for, is, is to look at that last chapter of Ruth. Now, we've been tracking through Ruth, and uh, we looked uh, at the, during the first week, we looked at the uh, Ruth chapter 1 and some of the characters um, that were revolving around the life of Ruth and Naomi in that space and the friendship scenarios that each represented, whether it was Ruth, Naomi, Opa, who's the, 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 the other daughter-in-law, Elimelech, the husband, um, and, and, and Boaz to a certain extent. Last week, uh, the, the focus was really on the relationship between Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, the, the, the scenarios as they played out, how their, their pursuit, what that interplay looked like, and the role that Naomi had to play um, in all of that. And, and so I want to finish off just by looking specifically um, at Boaz and, and Ruth uh, this uh, today, and specifically focusing on chapter 4. Um, so we'll read through chapter 4, but I want to point out some things. Uh, and as a hint, some of the things that I want to point out and, and, and chat about are, are, are in bold on the different slides. And really, it's one filter. As I read through, I want you to ask yourself, what is emerging in this picture as regards the purpose um, of the union between Boaz and Ruth? All marriage has purpose. All marriage has purpose. If you're in a marriage right now, your marriage has a purpose. If you're heading towards a marriage, your marriage has a purpose. If you intend to get married uh, one day or to get married again, your marriage has a purpose. Um, And so the question is, what purpose does your marriage carry or what does that union uh, represent? So let's look at... uh, uh, the life and the union of Boaz and Ruth and what emerges about uh, the purposes that God had intended there. So Ruth chapter 4 from verse 1 says, Now Boaz went up to the gates and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friends, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab. Uh, Naomi, who has come back, sorry, from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I'm next after you. Uh, and he said, and he, said, he said, I will redeem it. So that's the first thing that we see um, in, the, in, in, in the union that God was orchestrating between Boaz and Ruth was that he was in the business of redemption. Specifically in this, in this context was that he was redeeming uh, land. So he was keeping land, he was keeping a, a certain uh, economic status revolving within, within the family. So God was concerned about their, econ- their economic well-being and was using their union um, to resolve that issue. So that's the first thing about purpose that we see. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabites, the wife of the dead. 
to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Second purpose, uh, God wanted uh, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the practice then was that if a man died uh, before he could have children, the closest relative to him would then take the, his wife, but the children that they would bear, specifically the first child uh, that they would have, would carry on the name of the deceased um, so that his name could carry on. And some of the context around that, which I don't want to get into too much now, is, was the, a, 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 a belief um, that, that was, that's what eternity looked like to these guys who were operating in the Old Testament. That's what eternity looked like, was that your name was perpetuated. After you're gone, your name, the worst thing that could happen to you is that your name is cut off, as in you don't have any descendants to carry on your bloodline. And so this was a value system, and so God was honoring a value system that had emerged by helping to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. Um, so he didn't want to mess with the bloodlines. Um, you redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. So they would, they would have exchanged um, sandals. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witness this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Marlon's from the land or from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Marlon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, which we've already said, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren um, from his position at the gate. You are witness to this, uh, this day. And that, uh, th those two points are linked together. And all people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And there emerges another purpose. God was in the business of, uh, of prospering. Uh, these people through this union. So he wanted them to prosper and be famous in Bethlehem. So God was concerned with reputation, more specifically the reputation that would give God glory. And, and there's something that hopefully pricks you in, in, that, in, that, uh, in that sentence to ask yourself the question, well, if I'm already in a union, in a marriage union, um, how is my marriage union making God famous? How is my um, marriage union causing uh, the reputation of God um, to uh, be well-received in society, i.e., in Christianese, how am I glorifying God through my union? And if you're, if you're not yet there or you're heading there, or you'd like to be there, this is a pertinent question. How are you, what, kind of, what work are you doing now to ensure that when you get into that union, that, that union is glorifying God? And we can look at that next one. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. Yeah, PG, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed, the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel again. 
and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Part of that purpose of the union of Ruth and Boaz involved Naomi. God was looking after Naomi and was nourishing Naomi and was restoring to her all that she had lost and all that she thought that she would never have through this union. Again, ask yourself the question, who benefits because of your union? Are there people around you who benefit because you have chosen to come together with your spouse or because you are going to be coming together in holy matrimony with your spouse? Is there, is there a societal impact? Are there, are there people that scripture says that the women of that society proclaim that, no, that Naomi is blessed? Are people in your society, family, workplace, social circle, community, church circles, proclaiming blessing as a result of your union? And this is simply to point this out, guys, that um, uh, we, we can do a lot uh, and, and, and find pleasure and, and, and uh, kind of entertain ourselves within our marriages, but really if we're not finding a kingdom outworking with our union, we're going to struggle to find, to point out where we're actually glorifying God. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Now, I'm butchering those names, but uh, they're not here to correct me. <laughs> um, but I, I highlighted one name over there, David. Because when I'm reading this, I am seeing that now what God is doing is highlighting purpose um, and through progressive revelation and going, here, here is the, a, a localized purpose and we're going to continue to grow it into a macro purpose so that the, the eventual outworking of this union is, was David. Why? Because David was the king through whom the Christ would come. So the macro, the big vision here in this union was Christ. But they wouldn't have known that, uh, but they would have had to just walk faithfully alongside God um, and come together in their union and find ways to glorify him. But God had a far bigger outworking than they ever could have imagined. As you are faithful in your union, in your relationship, being intentional to do the things that God has asked you to do, to work on yourself and to to represent Christ within that relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a courtship, whether it's a marriage, regardless of what it is, that what you're actually doing is you are positioning yourself so that God can use you, not only in a, your, your localized interpersonal purposes, but in a macro purpose. He went from, from, um, from, from looking after the well-being of the family, keeping the land within the, within the family, which was also purpose, but also to looking after the societal status so that his name would not be lost among the city gates. Um, he went to uh, looking after uh, 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 the other people within, within that space, so Naomi benefits. So now the, the, vision, the vision continues to grow uh, to the reputation and the societal impact. So now the vision and the purpose continues to grow to a large macro purpose, which is now bringing or, or, or establishing the, the line through which the Christ would come. So, so that you ought to know that whether you see it or not, there is purpose in your union. Even when 
especially when you're tempted to lose hope or to walk away or to call it quits. To know that, guys, as long as you're willing to position yourself to be used by Christ, there's purpose that you will see now, the establishment of a, of a name, the establishment of a household, provision, societal impact, but there's also purpose that you won't see in your lifetime, but it still glorifies God. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I want to I wanna hand over to, to Kulu, and she's going to um, just uh, take us through some of the practical impl- uh, imp- uh, application, um, and starting specifically with the fact that uh, marriage really is a cross-cultural experience. Um, so that's why As we are <laughs> representing the cross-cultural experience here. <laughs> okay, I'll read from Mark 10, and it reads, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man would leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Not even yourselves. So God calls two people who are different, male and female. And as you can see, he's a man, I'm a woman. We have come together, and God requires us to be one. How, how does that play out? Because I come from a different uh, cultural background. He comes from a different background. We speak different languages. We were raised differently. We were raised at different parts of the country. We went to different schools. Like, there's not much that's actually the same in, in both our lives. But now we are in a union. We are required to be one somehow. And that sounds like hard work. Just me saying it. <laughs> yeah, and also there's no third parties in here. It's, it's as we were called, just the woman, just the man becoming one. And in the calling, we are required to have a, a, a sense of, of oneness or think as one, as we don't think. I don't, like the way my husband and I are so different we think, like, if you put a picture in front of us and ask us, what do you see? It's a completely, like, he'll see something that I don't even think was ever there. And I'll see something that is definitely not what he would think. Um, and, and in that, you know, we still need to practice the oneness or establish the oneness, which, which is most definitely work. Work, work, work. And how do you work towards that? You don't wake up one day and you've arrived. Or you don't wake up one day and you have this uh, blessed marriage where you love each other, where you're happy, where you're loving each other every day, where you, you know, it's not just roses and cream all day, every day. You have to work hard. I mean, in order for you to, to know someone, you have to spend time with them, right? Get to know them. Uh, make time to, 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 to see them if, if you don't, if they live, you know, if they live in another city, you have to make time to go see them. You have to make time to, to spend time with them. You have to create opportunities where you have an overlap, whether it's something that you enjoy doing together or whether it's something that you, that the, the one person enjoys doing that you can participate in and, and, and get to know them in that way. And finding common ground finding interests that I have or finding interests that he has, that you find that for us, sports is one thing that we have in common that we enjoy doing together. And that's how we spend time, getting to know each other. Big sample. 
give the example. Awesome. So, <laughs> I, I know exactly where I am. Um, I want to I want to give you a little bit of a story around um, around how we we, we um, had to navigate the the, the oneness thing. Um, and uh, early, early on in our marriage, and, and, and so when you get married, um, there's a contractual obligation, right? So you, you actually sign a paper, and so, and so we're, we're, we're contractually obligated towards one another, and sometimes there's a lawyer present. Um, but deeper than that, uh, you have a, a covenant relationship, so you, you, you're covenant, covenanted. Um, towards one another, and so we kind of had this understanding that okay, there, there's no way out of this. Um, there, there, there are no back doors, uh, and uh, and that's fine. So you, you know, you've been discipled and you've been taught well. So there are no back doors, and you get married, and man, you realize <laughs> I need a back door here. <laughs> and uh, but but uh, the, the journey that I had to uh, kind of uh, walk in was. Um, realizing, okay, I'm, I'm covenanted, so I can't walk away. Uh, but, uh, uh, or I can't walk away from the relationship. But that didn't mean that I couldn't walk away. Um, and so, uh, and which I would do. So if, if things got difficult, or if we we're heated, or if I just didn't want to be there anymore, I would walk away. Um, and and uh, t- uh, there was a time or two when I'd walk out, get into the car, drive off, um, I'm not answering her calls, uh, because, I, you know, I'm blowing off steam, and I feel particularly justified in doing that. And uh, uh, through discipleship and, uh, and getting intervention, got to realize that this is not a good thing to do. Um, this is part of, this is still creating a, a, a back door. And so now, um, the, so the contractual door is shut, um, and now the walking away door is shut. Uh, so I had to stay in the house, but... I, st- I could still walk away. I could still withdraw. Um, and so, cause I, so I was always trying to find that back door. And so when I couldn't, I could no longer get into the car and walk away, I just went inside of myself. And, and so we would be, again, things would get heated or we'd be in an argument or I just didn't want to be there anymore. So I'd just go inside of myself. Not, you, can't, you can't tell on me. I didn't leave. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but um, again, had to realize that, uh, but I'm still creating a backdoor. I still have a backdoor mentality. Um, and so not only did I have to close the contractual uh, backdoor, we had to understand the covenant meant there was no backdoor. Also, I had to realize that physically I had to close the backdoor, and I still had to close the emotional backdoor um, so that I, uh, I would still be present and fully present in the relationship. So that's some of, some of the work that we had to do to work towards oneness, that we're still on that journey. That was a small confession of mine. <laughs> and, I mean, we have to grow in God. You know, we have to grow in, in the Word, and that's the only way any relationship can work. Um, because um, even in Luke it says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. We cannot just expect things to happen. We have to be in the Word, and that relationship with God is a reflection of our relationship on earth. As God loves me as I spend time with Him, that's how I love my husband. That's how he loves me. Spending time in the Word, I think for me, that's, that's one of the things that would, would help us when, when we get into conflict, because then 
you know, there's that, this is, this is what you've been reading today about peace or love or, you know, are you practicing that? Are you just reading the word and going to fight with your husband? Or are you practicing the word and, you know, instead of fighting, speak love. You know, instead of fighting, you know, make peace. And in that, we'd also read books and, you know, to improve on ourselves. If, it, if there was something that I needed to do, because remember, we are in this relationship together, but there's an individual, which is me. There's an individual, which is him. And we are in a marriage. But if, if there's a problem in the marriage, it's either me or him. If there's something I had to work on in order to improve the relationship, I would need to do something myself. He would need to do something, whatever it is he needs to do. Whether you read books, whether you find intervention, you find somebody. I think one thing for me was my husband is a words person. And I don't, I, I couldn't, I don't speak, I don't, I didn't grow up in a, in a, in a family where, you know, you would, you would get encouraged with words or you, you were told you were great or you're doing well. I don't know, somehow I just knew it. So it, it, it's not something that comes naturally for me. Whereas for him, he, he needs that. He needs to be told, you're doing great, you dressed well, you look nice, I like your shoes. <laughs> and it's something I had to grow in. It's something I had to read about it. I had to go sit with people who are words inclined and ask them, so if, you know, if a scenario is like this, how do I approach it? And, and that's, that's the work I had to do. And in order for the marriage to work, you need, you need to to definitely get out of your comfort zone and do what you need to do. Doing courses to invest in the marriage. And, you know, there's many courses that we, we actually have committed that we'll do a course a year, at least. In a year, we do one course together, whether it's the grow courses that, that we do here at church or find something outside of the church or whatever it is we need to do to work at this relationship because it's, it's, it's very important and becoming a student of your spouse, learning what makes them tick, what makes them upset, what, what they like, what they don't like, whatever it is that makes them come alive, learn about them, be a student, like sit and ask them questions. I think that's another thing I've had to learn, that my husband wants me to ask him, you know, are you doing well in this area? How are you? What's going on in your life? Um, so that he can, he can speak to me and, and, and tell him, and, and I get to know him, and I get to find out new things about him as seasons change in our lives. And one of the things that we're doing right now is the marriage network that's running with some of the couples here, and you know, we discuss different topics about marriage, where we're growing together as a couple, where we're growing with other couples. We are in community, and, and it is great. Awesome. <laughs> so, 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 sorry, I was busy admiring my wife and I lost track of <laughs> So, so I think one, one of the, the other tools that we had to put in place um, as, as it relates to, to our discipleship and how we work our marriage was that we had to create um, safe spaces. So we recognized that danger of being isolated. And the danger of being isolated was that there's lots of opportunity to manipulate and control one another. 
if, there's, if, if we're doing something in the dark or there's no opportunity for somebody else to speak into it, um, I can manipulate or she can manipulate or we can try and control one another and it's this arm wrestle match. Uh, but what, what we wanted to do was create uh, a healthy environment and a, and a, and a safe go-to space. Uh, so we had, we identified a, a couple um, and, uh, and uh, we said, okay, okay here, we, we trust this couple and so we are going to give each other permission um, to speak to this couple about absolutely everything. Um, so sometimes we may speak to somebody and we will hold a few things back and we've got honor in our minds and, you know, let me honor my wife, etc. This couple, this is the couple that I can go and vomit on, you know. <laughs> This is the couple that, and part of, part of that was because we trusted that this couple had our marriage first. Um, mm. This wasn't a couple that was going, I'm going to, oh, I can't believe what this wife did, and then they're going to start helping me to mudsling. Um, in fact, almost all the time, the question was, okay, what, did, what was your contribution? Okay, so what can you do to, be, to better the situation? So it wasn't as fruitful as I'd wanted it to be. <laughs> um, but but what, it, what it did do was that it created safety. Uh, because she didn't need my permission to go and speak to them. I didn't need her permission, and I couldn't control what she said to them. Uh, so she's allowed to say absolutely everything. Um, there's nothing that we, we, um, we would um, hold back, and the same applied for me. Um, and and, uh, and that, that, that meant that there was a place, of, a, a place of appeal, but also that there was a healthy um, mm. environment where it wasn't just the two of us um, convincing each other or Bible bashing each other with scriptures or trying to control each other with the Bible, which we sometimes try and do. Um, so, so yeah, so I think that was a, that was a healthy kind of um, uh, platform that we used to, to, to walk out our discipleship and our mentorship. Definitely, discipleship, 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 discipleship. You know, as you are in discipleship when you're a single person, it's, it's even more important to be in discipleship uh, when you are married. And John 5 says, um, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And that is the definition of, of, of um, what discipleship is. It's not uh, you go to, or say if, well, my husband can't disciple me, but if I go to my discipler, and, I tried. <laughs> and they tell me, you know, this is what you should do, or this is how you should handle it. That's, that's, that's it. it there's, no, there's no other way. Whereas the difference with, with mentorship is that they can give you advice. With discipleship, there's no advice. What I'm telling you to do is what you must do. If I'm mentoring you, I'm giving you advice to choose. If this is how things worked for me, then you can decide if you can take that principle and implement it in your life. Whereas with discipleship, you, you can't do that. And accountability, having other couples that, you know, that are in your community where you can say, please pray. Or, you know what, I, need, I just need some girl time. Can we meet? And be able to, to have the spaces which are safe for you to, to say what's on your heart or what you're struggling with, you know, in order for you to be a better person and even if, even if we've, we've had a fight and I go meet with my girlfriends, and, but by the time I come back, I'm so calm and so peaceful that you know, I've, I even forget that we had a fight and I just want to love him and you know, be kind to him. 
And I, I'm and still I'm still on the fight mode. I'm still like, <laughs> I've been waiting for you. I've had time to process. I wrote down my points. You know, <laughs> you know and, and, and that, I mean, obviously, if I come in and I'm like, how are you? And I'm all happy. And then he's like, okay, I'm waiting for war here. What's going on? Um, that diffuses the situation because then I'll say nice things and start preparing a meal. We sit and catch up and I'm like, oh, I was meeting with so-and-so, it was so great, we were talking about this and that, and, you know, this is what I'm going to do, and, you know, I'm so sorry about what happened, and maybe this is how I should have handled it, and, and the conflict is gone. Yeah, but I'm, you know I'm checking out that food, right? I'm like, <laughs> you eat first. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> That's a joke. So it's important to... to <laughs> That's for me for later. <laughs> So it's important to be in discipleship and accountability um, in order for, for you to, to have a healthy marriage relationship. And in any, any relationship, friendship, uh, parents, whatever relationship that you are in. And also bringing kids into the mix of be- being married and, you know, trying to work at this thing together. You know, you have to cultivate time, you have to find interests common ground and stuff that you can do together, you know, growing in the word when you have kids, my goodness, that's, I think that's one of the most challenging things about parenting for me, because now you can't just have your quiet time when you want to, you know, if you close the door, they open the door, they come in and you can't, you can't, you know, there you are praying, thinking they're sleeping and then they wake up, you know, there you are reading the Bible and then they're like, no, can I read with you? So you have to really be very intentional to continue even with, with your discipleship relationships. So just, just a, a side thing on that, on that time, um, for those of you who, who are parents or, or, or are going into that space. So I, I recently, I remember I sat down with, um, uh, past, with Pastor Simon. We're doing my, um, my performance review. Uh, yes, we, we do performance review. And, uh, and one of the things that we're discussing was, was time now with, you know, with changing things and kids, etc. And I was complaining about the fact that, man, I used to have all this time to just delve into the word. I, just, I could just read the word whenever I wanted. And I just, I don't have the time now. A week has gone, sometimes two weeks. And I'm just like living on, on a verse here and there. And, uh, and um, uh, Pastor Simon gave me some, some advice that he had gotten from Pastor Brett Fuller. When, when he had gone to him with the same issue, which was very compassionate uh, advice. He, he said, he looked at me, he said, make time. Next. <laughs> and that's what it boils down to. Um, kids are going to be there. They're not going anywhere. They're only going to get more demanding. Make time. If you have to wake up earlier, if you, go, you have to go to bed later, if you have to take strategic lunch, whatever you need to do, don't forfeit your time in the word. Yes, and I mean, I think, you know, God is in the business of relationships, and that's why Christ came and he died on the cross, so that we can be restored back in relationship with God. And, and, and that is our comfort, you know, when, when, when things get tough, we know that, you know, God is, is in this thing. And I think even earlier on in, in our marriage, you know, that was, that was our driving force, that, you know what, we're getting it wrong, and you will get it wrong. And sometimes it feels like you're so overwhelmed that... This is not the life you've chosen. This is not the person that, you know, they're not who they used to be, so to speak. And how do you, how do you deal with that? It's like, you, you can't, I can't change my husband. I can't, he can't change me. I've tried. 
to change him. But I cannot, I cannot do that. I can only change myself. And if there's something that's not working in the relationship, that I feel, you know what, sometimes I'm like, you know what, if, if only he could just listen to me and do what I tell him to do, this relationship would be perfect. <laughs> but what it is that I can change in me so that that thing doesn't bother me. You know, I need to look at myself and, and what I have control over. I can change how I feel about that thing that upsets me about him. And that's the, the, the power I have. But now taking the power and giving it to him and saying, no, you change so that we are fine. And not addressing what my issue is. And I think even in all of that, you know, we need to have, um, like Philippians 1 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, and I mean, love is sacrificial. As Jesus died, so that, you know, so do I need to die in this relationship. He died for me. I need to die in order for this relationship to work. I need to become less of me in the relationship and more of Christ so that the scales are not balanced. You know, if there's more of me and less of Christ, then we will have a volatile marriage, definitely. But if there's more of Christ and less of me, then we're going to prosper in marriage. Because whatever it is that we're struggling with, you know, God first. God will sort it out. Because I'm not in control. I'm not trying to change my husband. I'm not trying to change whatever relationship that you're in, whether it's a friendship relationship, even with your friend, with your brother, with your mother, with your sister, whoever it is, at work, with colleagues. You know, you're like, oh, that colleague of mine, if only they would just do this, my life would be better. What can you do? How can you die in order for, this, for the relationship to work? What is it that you need to do in yourself? I mean, obviously, asking God that you need to do in order for the marriage to prosper. And I'm also going to read from Ecclesiastes 3. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the, in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Because we are still growing, we are still learning, we're still growing together, even now, you know, transitioning from just being married, the two of us, now having two children, hopefully having more. It's, it's you know, every season is, is, is different. You know, I'm a work in progress, and I'm willing to allow God to do what he needs to do in me in order for the marriage to work. He's a work in progress. You know, we haven't arrived. I don't think we ever will. But that's the beauty of, of relationship. You know, you get to discover new things. You get to grow. But the, the point is that we grow together. We grow together. We get to know each other. Even, you know, in 10 years' time, there will be questions where I'll ask or I'll be like, but you used to be this way. Why are you not like that? And, but it's because we are all growing. We are, we are progressing in our growth in God. We are progressing in our growth together as one. And I feel like... Um, if there's anybody here who can resonate with, with what we've been saying this morning about being, especially in, as, as a spouse in, in, a relation, in your relationship, in your marriage relationship, that God has called us to have healthy relationships. God wants you to enjoy your marriage. God has created your marriage for you to enjoy it and be fruitful in it and, and, and enjoy your spouse and, and like them. 
You know, sometimes we don't even like each other. But just like them and be in love with them. And, and that, is, that, is, that is a gift that he's given us. You know, he's, he, hasn't, he doesn't want you to, to sit and be miserable and isolated and, and not enjoy any of it. Um, I, feel like I, I feel like we need to pray for, for some people. So if that is you, please stand. If, if you feel like there's something that God needs to do in, in your heart to help you relate better with your spouse, to relate better with whatever relationship that you are in, if there is work that, that needs to be done in you so that the marriage can work, so that the relationship can work and be healthy, please stand. I'm going to be the first or second person to stand. That, Lord, there the are things... Some, some of you, Jesus is watching <laughs> as you lie in church. Sham. <laughs> there are things that I feel I can improve on. For my marriage, as a parent, as a sister, as a daughter, there's, there's a lot of things that I can work on. And I feel like if, if those things, if God can help me with those things, I'll definitely be a better person. My relationships will be better. If you have a spouse and your spouse doesn't stand, it's not about your spouse. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, your spouse shouldn't feel the pressure to stand because it's about you. It's not about the marriage. It's about you as an individual. You stand up and you say, Lord, work on me so that I can be able to be a better better relate with, with my spouse or my partner. Father, we, we want to we just humble ourselves before you, Lord. We're trusting you um, that you would heal in, these, in this area, Father. Father, we're trusting you that each and every marriage relationship represented here would be blessed. That each and every person um, would be willing to do the work for themselves, to, to, to focus on themselves, to, uh, to die to self, to grow in more and more Christ-likeness, to get closer to you, um, and to prosper the marriage in that way. Father, where there's been finger-pointing, where there's been distance, where there's been suspicion of one another, we just ask that you pour out your, your, your healing blood even in those areas, Father. Lord, that you bring health, you bring a sense of, of unity, uh, Father, that you, you a, a soberness that allows each person to, 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 to agree with the work that you're doing inside of them. Whether it's a, it's, it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a, 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 a non-marriage uh, uh, romantic relationship, whether it's friendships, whatever, whatever sphere we find ourselves in currently, Father, that we would be willing to do the work, that I would be willing to do the work. And, and, and not expecting others to put in the work on our behalf. Father, I just pray for your grace, that you'd pour out the grace to do the work, to work towards oneness. We thank you, Father, for each and every willing heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.